Welcome back to the Schmism. It's been a few months. You're listening today to the Ireland episode part one, which will take you up to 1798 with uh, Wolf Tone's Rebellion. The next part, which uh, Nico and I are recording this week, will go through the 19th and 20th centuries, so through the Civil War, Anglo-Irish War, the the Troubles, and things like that. Um, So stay tuned for that coming up. Uh, Some business up top before we get into the episode. First off, apologies for not releasing these that often. I started grad school and uh, don't really have time to be editing uh, podcasts, so there's that aspect of it, but uh, on the upside, I have also been doing a ton of reading uh, in history, and so I have a lot of ideas for, for upcoming episodes. If you would like to be a guest on the show um, and hear a story from some part of history uh, from me and, and react to it and respond to it, um, uh, you can just reach out to me through, uh, well, through schmisms at gmail.com. That's S-C-H-M-I-Z-M-S at gmail.com. Otherwise, or just reach out to me by whatever other contact method you have for me. Um, we're going to have a panel discussion on political violence coming up. I think it might be a release as a bonus. I'm not sure. Uh, but about the bonus episodes, what I should say is that I haven't released those for a while either. So if you are still paying to the Patreon and you are like, wait, where is this $3 going every month? Uh, it's not really going anywhere because... I have switched to a new podcast hosting service, which is free. Uh, Previously, I've been paying uh, $18 a month to keep the podcast hosted. No longer doing that. So the Patreon is currently just, just, you know, superfluous. Uh, Well, at least next month it will be uh, since I've switched. Um, If you want to keep paying to it, that's great. If you want to withdraw, that's also great. Um, Other promotions to make aside from this show is actually i really hope that you don't lose the uh i lose all the follows when i switch the host we'll see um but the other thing to promote is our, our bi-monthly uh, trivia that's twice a month not not every two months so whichever one that's supposed to be um trivia nights that are hosted on twitch that's twitch.tv slash a big marmot um that's faith and i host those you can uh, join in all right, let's get to the show. With me today is Nico Averly, who you might know in person or know from the previous uh, Udall Brothers episode. Go back and listen to that one if you haven't. It's one of the best ones. And, uh, yeah, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Schmism. This is uh first episode in a while. I've uh started grad school and so haven't had as much time to do 
schmism reading. Uh, I've done a lot of reading for other things, uh, and uh, I definitely haven't had time to edit podcasts. So over the break, trying to get a few uh, recorded and out there. Uh, first of which will be today's, which I'll probably this will probably depending on how long it takes, end up being a, a two part thing, maybe three. Um, <laughs> uh, or just release it as like a six hour podcast why not no, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know how long you're willing to stay uh, with me is Nico Averly, a returning, returning guest hello hi Nico um, Nico uh, and I are going to talk about about all of Irish history in one fell swoop today uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that's what we were doing. I thought we were doing the troubles. Well, um, I was like, why not give the full background? And uh, and the more and more I dug into it, I was like, eventually I'm like, shit, I haven't written anything about the troubles. And that's like <laughs> maybe the more interesting stuff. So, In true history nerd fashion, you lost the... Really lost uh, the plot. <laughs> you lost the trees for the forest, I guess, in this case. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I know. I'm, I'm so I'm kind of afraid. So I will. So upfront disclaimers. Now that I'm like a historian, um, this is not an accurate. Do you get that moniker already? I, I think so. I get referred to as that. <laughs> but wow, yeah, it doesn't. I'm, I'm honored to be in the virtual presence of a historian. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, uh, up I guess Sam has been calling himself a philosopher king since freshman year of college. <laughs> so I guess you call yourself a historian. Yeah. Right. Um, were you a political scientist? <laughs> no. Yeah. Nor will I ever be. Um, this uh, so upfront disclaimer. Despite me being a historian academically, this is not a piece of this. This podcast is not intended as like well researched academic history. This is like cursory overview. I'll put out some recommended readings and stuff in the in the po- in the description of the show. You can check out if you want a deeper thing. Um, but like, don't don't. I might say things in here that are incorrect. That's not on purpose, but that's just a result of the kind of like quick research, especially an episode like this where I'm trying to cover thousand years of history. Um, it's just, it's too much. I, I picked way too much to do. So some things are going to be uh, like, on, there's a lot more to everything that's in this. You know, each, each interesting thing is probably have more to it and probably some more disagreements among historians than uh some of what i encountered his researching it i was like finding those disagreements and be like okay i'm just gonna have to pick something and go with this or like say like there is disagreement let's move on um is this your is this your uh disclaimer for any other historians or professors who stumble upon this yeah like (laughs) googling your name yeah definitely uh this is a fun thing i do with my friends uh (laughs) it is not part of my uh my work um, oh my god he's such a shitty historian <laughs> did he just say that that the orange order started as a as a gentry movement and not as a peasant movement are you, are you kidding me uh, uh, <laughs> this uh yeah deep cuts i don't understand nice that's actually referencing the one actual like bit of scholarly research i i really dug into on this um <laughs> All right, so we're talking about Ireland. Uh, a few months back, Nico asked me to explain Northern Ireland to him, and I was like, "Let's just save it for a podcast." So, so we're doing the podcast. Uh, I went to Northern Ireland six, it's like almost seven years ago now. Um, so, I did study this 
in undergrad, but I don't remember a ton. Uh, I'll try to, some of it will come to mind as we go along. Um, I've done a lot of like going back and watching videos and reading articles and things to try and get like refresh memory on these things. Um, we'll start with what is Ireland and why is it important? Um, well, I think the why is it important is a really interesting question because it's like the conflict in Northern Ireland is seen as like one of these like really significant global conflicts, right? That like you're supposed to know and know about. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. If, I don't think it's like for it's a geopolitical significance as much as it is for like just like family ties of most Americans. I, you know, like why I care about Ireland more than East Timor or Cyprus? Like white people. Yeah, it's just where where Americans are from. Um, but also it is like at the heart of the British Empire and at the heart of the fall of the British Empire or the, the decline, I suppose. So like right. the loss of your first colony is a is a real big blow to a global empire. Um, anyway, so let, let's get into it. Um, sure. Yeah. So what is Ireland? Uh, Ireland uh, is an <laughs> island uh, off the coast of, of Europe, part of Europe. Um, it's uh uh let's see i i also like have so much so many pages of notes here that like it's it's gonna feel like i'm learning this at the same time as i'm like oh yeah i wrote that um <laughs> uh i so iru meaning land of flowing water became the name of that island as early as 900 uh ce um original farmers settling ireland were there from the fifth millennium bc most of the early farmers were killed by invaders from Britain and Europe in the third millennium BCE. So that starts the pattern of people come from Britain and kill a bunch of people. It started uh, 5,000 years ago, apparently. Um, let see, in the late Bronze Age to the medieval period, a series of invasions and expeditions generated a sort of Celtic culture, which Celtic uh, is a linguistic concept coming from... Uh, Wait, earliest recorded versions of Celtic are Gaelic and Brythonic, which is from Britain and Gaul, Gaul being France and uh, part of Spain. So So what do I see in a street sign in Ireland? Oh, Irish is the language that is on both English and Irish. And the Irish language is always uh, in italics on street signs. So that so and does that is that coming from Gaelic? Yeah. Um. Gaelic is like a language group and Irish is a is a language. A lot of them, a lot of Americans will say Irish Gaelic. I've even heard people who like speak it. Like one of my classmates speaks Irish and they call it Irish Gaelic, but in Ireland everyone just calls it Irish. Like it's just what the language is called there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um there's like Scots Gaelic and there's all the old I don't know. Tie, it's ties to France and Spain. Um Let's see. Roman conquest. What is all this junk that I wrote here? Um, medieval and modern Celtic languages are Welsh, Cornish, and Breton, all derived from the early Brythonic-speaking Britain and Britain and Irish, Scots, Gaelic, and Manx, which are derived from Old Irish, uh, Goidelic. Gaelic appears to have become extinct during the Roman occupation of Gaul. At all events, there is no trace of it by the fifth century A.D. when the Western Roman Empire collapsed. Uh, a shocking 84% of Irish men today have this the this one genetic mutation 
that's from 25,000, sorry, 2500 BC and contradicts most of the like traditional mythic accounts of the settlement of Ireland. Uh, but this is not an archaeology podcast. Uh, this is a history po comedy podcast. This is a comedy podcast? So uh, <laughs> we're, we'll stop talking about, we will not get into like genetics. Um, all right. Uh, what do I have here? But isn't that interesting that like that like eighty four percent of Irish men have like this gene that's been in that island for. What is it? Is I it interesting. I don't know. I don't know genetics. If you want to know about prehistoric genetics, go. What's the trait? I don't know. I didn't write it down. <laughs> um, Jesus. Go listen to uh, Tides of History if you like that kind of stuff. We're gonna move on. Hi everybody from Wondery. Welcome to another episode of Tides of History. Um, Before. <laughs> Gaelic comes from Gaul, occupied by the Romans. Maybe okay. it's something cool like being able to like turn into a snake. <laughs> it's it's an it's one of the X Men X genes. Yeah, they uh yeah, or like that's what Saint Patrick did. He got rid of all of the snakes by turning people into them. No, no, no. no he, well, there were snakes, right? So he got rid of the snakes, and so then all the snakes just took the human form. That was oh. really. Bad. So St. Patrick showed up and turned all of the snakes into people. No, 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 no. The people just did it to make it look like St. Patrick was a saint. The people turned into snakes, put on a show for St. Patrick to gain notoriety, <laughs> and then stopped turning yeah. into snakes anymore. <laughs> okay. okay. It's a sick trait, bro. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, I did not acquire that trait. Are you Irish? No, you're Norwegian and... Oh yeah, there's a Scots Irish. <laughs> okay. I don't remember what that means. I think it just means you you're not sure. <laughs> We're Scot. I think it, it. I know my family was was from Donegal, Ireland. Oh. Nice. We'd have our own Las Vegas in the hills of Donegal. Yeah, Las Vegas in the hills of Donegal. I've heard. Yeah, it's a nice place. Sligo and all them other places. Holy Hill um, is a monastery in Sligo that a friend of mine used to work at. Um, all right. Uh, so wait, Romans, Emperor Hadrian built a wall across Scotland. Let's see. Earliest references to Celts are from the Greek word Keltoi in the 6th century BC. Good thing I didn't write what that meant. Um, Ptolemy, uh, in also so the, the Greek uh, guy, Ptolemy, um, he, he, in his maps, he labeled it uh, Micra Britannia, which is Greek for Little Britain, um, like the TV show. And uh, labeled the other one as Megali Britannia, which is Great Britain. Um, the Romans, on the other hand, called Ireland Hibernia. So that's where you get the Hibernia name from. Um, it's like they call they called Ireland Hibernia and, and Scotland Caledonia. Caledonia's been everything I've ever had. And Nova Scotia is bad Latin for New Scotland. So there's there were two new there's two new Scotlands. There's this thing called the Labor Gabala Aaron, which is written in the 11th century. It's a chronicle of Irish history. 
tells the story of six different peoples who subsequently came to occupy the island, like one replacing the other. Uh, the narrative structure of it is heavily influenced by Augustine's City of God. Um, but it was treated as a hit true history of Ireland until the 19th century. And now it's just viewed as a, as a myth. It's, um, it reads like Star Wars. It's like old gods and precursors and like Titans and all that stuff. <laughs> I don't like, it's not like a, <laughs> a, a standard history. I guess it, it reads more like, kind of like how the Old Testament reads as a history of, of Israel. It reads like that okay. for Ireland more so where there's some uh, there's giants and stuff. Yeah. Christianity arrives in Ireland. Um, first mission to Ireland from St. Palladius in 431, um, where he was sent to root out heresies in Scotland and Ireland, which since the Pope's instructions to Palladius or to root out heresies, we can assume that there are already Christians there. So we don't know how, who actually introduced Christianity to the British Isles. Um, then we get St. Patrick sort of like next generation after Palladius uh, Patrick arrives oh no the following year so he arrives in 432 uh, kills all the snakes um, good job bud yeah so St. Patrick despite being a saint and having his feast day and everything never has been formally canonized but he is recognized as a saint by the uh, Eastern Orthodox, the Roman Catholic, the Anglican, and the Lutheran Church. Um, there are some like archaeology history profession who think that there's not a single Saint Patrick, but it's actually like an amalgam of several people. Um, let's see. What? Huh? What? Why does Saint Patrick? What? Why is he a saint? What? Why does he matter? Why? Why should I give a shit? That, you know, <laughs> yeah. What? Was he? What is he? What was he good for? Well, it's like the St. Patrick story is that he was taken to Ireland as a slave when he was sixteen, um, and then like like I think he was from England or France. Fuck. Anyway, and he was taken as a slave to Ireland, and then he like escaped, and then he like became a priest, and then went like asked for a call to go back to Ireland as a missionary, um, and then like he like brought Christianity to Ireland is what they say. But like, so so we care because he converted people, right? That's like why he's a, a hero of the church because he converted people. Yes, disappointing. Um, <laughs> so he's known for the like the as far as saints go, it's disappointing to me. Yeah, uh, I mean, maybe he did some good stuff along the way, but I don't know. the The saints, the Irish, honestly, like here, yeah, hot take. The Irish saints from this era, they were like all of the patron saints are like mm-hmm. waging wars and shit like back and forth this is like this real like papal fiefdom kind of i don't know this is like like do we do we are we gonna get a saint who's like the like um the, the rebellion saint the like irish patron saint who rebels against the british monarchy uh probably not can i mean the closest what was that guy's name i met a guy in Derry who was a presbyterian minister but who like had also preached in catholic churches he's like that respected there um who's done a lot of that kind of like i don't know there are people in northern ireland now who are like totally worthy of the the title i think i don't know people like patrick oh sure sure i i don't know if you'd get one i don't think there's an older one 
I don't think there's someone prior to the 1960s who's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, Catholic Church does fuck that, man, as far as that Yeah, I don't know. I mean, St. Bridget's kind of cool. Not, it's not surprising, but yeah, I was hoping for it. Uh, let's see. What else do I have about Patrick? Oh, so Patrick's known for like using the shamrock as a metaphor for the Trinity, which is like, <laughs> you know, as far as I don't know, it's kind of, again kind of weak. Um, it's got three things, <laughs> but um, you know how it's talk, That's bad, dude. Talking to people as if they've never seen a triangle. Um, let's see. <laughs> uh, no, he's, he says the St. Patrick's prayer is the Lorica. It's the breastplate prayer. Um, there's St. Bridget. So St. Bridget of Kildare is like probably was a like a Celtic goddess that like the stories about her were sort of reformed into being about a nun. But some syncretism. Yeah. Or she was just an actual nun in 450 uh, AD. Who knows? But the major St. Bridget stories, she's got a cool, a cool set of miracles. She, she is far more like she's far more like a witch almost like benevolent witch she's just like doing magic and stuff like uh okay so like she asked the king for a plot of land to make a convent and he said that you can have um the amount of land that your coat can cover just like to tell her off and she then like goes and and drags her cloak and it like grows and to like several square miles and and then becomes the land that her convent was built on you know um as like a hey fuck you um and then what are her other her other miracles most of her other miracles have have to do with her getting like insanely injured and like her blood healing things or like there's one whole story about one of her eyes getting ripped out and growing back um and lastly she could turn water into beer so great yeah there you go That's the, this is the kind of saint that i'm i'm going for yeah the water. A little witchy and gives me alcohol yeah, water into beer. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. So that's St. Bridget. Okay, the, the, this is probably the, the last like saint we'll get into is St. Columba, St. Colum. He's uh, significant. There's actually going to be a handful of saints in, in his story. Um, so you've seen book of, uh, the Book of Kells, Secret of Kells. Yeah. Yeah, St. Columba is the kid in Secret of Kells, or is he the... No, Brendan's the kid, right? I don't uh, remember movies very well. Okay, one of them's Brendan, one of them's Columba. Um, so, so the Brendan and Columba are like characters in in that movie. If you want to watch a f- fun version of this, anyway, he's a. Uh, so he was one of the twelve apostles of Ireland, which were these. So both of the Saint Brendans were as well. One of the Brendans is the patron saint of travelers. Um, so this like group of twelve that studied under Saint Finian. And Finian is this guy from who's actually from Ireland. He studied all over Europe, but he was led by an angel to the spot on the River Boyne where he built the Clonard Monastery, um, died of plague in 549, and his bones remained at Clonard until it was raided by Vikings in 887, and they stole the bones. Um, so Columba was probably a prince of Linus, Lannister, a nobleman or prince of some kind. Uh, he studies under Finian, becomes a priest and all that, a, monast- a monk, um, founds a church at Doer Kalach, which becomes Derry, later London Derry, later back to Derry, Free Derry. Um, 
So he uh, went and retrieved the gospel of St. Martin of Tours from France and put them in that monastery. Um, okay, so the big incident with Columba is this, the copyright incident, which leads to the Battle of Col Germain. Um, so uh, it's like, like the actual history is that there's probably like a succession, a succession, succession debate between two dukes and one of them like sought refuge with Columba at his monastery. Um, and then he like failed to protect him and some people came and killed him. Um, so Columba <laughs> gets like wrapped into this thing. Um, but the, 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 the more fun, like legendary story is that Columba had borrowed a, uh, a Psalter from St. What one of the St. Finians and, uh, made a copy of it and then saint finian said that copy is mine you've made it copy for my thing and he says no I, I i did the work so i'm gonna keep it and so this is like considered the first copyright case in european legal history um <laughs> the king rules that the copy belongs to the owner of the original um so saint columba rallies an army to depose the king uh and at the battle of Coldermain, three thousand people are killed, <laughs> um, and Saint Columba, in shame, flees to Scotland. Uh, you know how? Yeah. You know how like uh, Christopher Hitchens just like has all these criticisms of Mother Teresa. Um, sure. I don't. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so he he's just like Mother Teresa, like. She wasn't about like helping the poor. Actually, she had no medical training. She didn't know what the fuck she was talking about. She was like, actually, she was just like letting people suffer and she glorified suffering. And because, you know, to suffer and be poor is to be like Christ. And can you imagine what Christopher Hitchens would say about like a saint that like went and just slaughtered thousands of people? <laughs> like Christopher Hitchens, come on, man. I fucking hate that guy. I mean, he brought he has some good criticisms there. I'm not gonna lie, but yeah, uh, I would I would uh, be interested in <laughs> in uh, Christopher Hitchens' book about like uh, a saint, a, a warrior saint. Yeah, like, this whole no, it's just it's just so insane to think about like a a priest starting a war or like a or or a, or a monk starting a war. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, don't we have? Oh man, so, okay, so, the, so back to St. Columba, he's the one who founds the monastery at Iona, that little island off of Scotland. That's kind of what he's known for as well. But so like Derry and Iona are like the places that are connected to Columba. So when I was in Derry, there's a bunch of like St. Columba, St. Column stuff. St. Columba's Cathedral, I think, is the is the main cathedral in Derry. Um, anyway, uh, he wrote some alphabet hymns, which is just funny to think of. They're like each line begins with the next letter of the alphabet. Um, let's see Irish monarch okay I'm not a medieval historian uh, medieval historians okay if there are medieval historians listening to this reach out to me uh, to talk about what you were talking about like warrior the warrior priest idea this like I, I'm curious like how most medieval historians approach like do you approach the Pope as being a political king and like these monks and priests as being like basically I don't know. These are like lords and knights in a way. I don't know. I, I'm just curious about like what the difference, like how you conceptualize this, right? 
do you con do you, do you conceive of them as religious figures or as like uh, warlords? Right. Or is the like difference between those a modern conception that we're like putting? Like, is it is yeah, it an anachronism? Right. Because hmm. it wouldn't be viewed the same way in all cultures. Like in Eastern, like I don't know. I don't think people look at like Buddhist monks that way. Right. Like that that division between like these are the military and this is the church is yeah no it's not really a thing yeah so i don't know how people really generally think about this um this era of history um okay the dark ages and stuff the I ireland irish monasteries preserve classical thought and church writings and things uh kells is an important site for that there's the the vikings come in uh most of like the main irish cities that are on the coasts are founded by vikings like dublin limerick cork wexford um and then you get the uh normans no! uh norman invasion of of england doesn't just stop in england they go on to ireland as well um and for a while there's a french king of ireland named strongbow um who has a cider named after him now um and I'm sending Nico a map to look at. Uh, you can't see it out there listening okay. to this, but but we're looking at a map. Um, so I don't know why is this? It's at this spot in my notes, so I'm assuming this is where it's important to look at that. Oh, okay, yeah, got it. That's a map of Ireland in 1450. So we're not at 1450 yet. We'll get there. Um, I see where Beto's from. Really? Oh, O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> nice. <laughs> O'Neill, O'Reilly, O'Farrell. Necesitamos incluir cada persona en nuestra democracia. Uh, cada votar, ca cada votante necesitamos la representación y cada voz necesitamos. Um, as far as I'm concerned, he can go back. <laughs> uh, maybe they'll take him. Mayo, well, there's Mayo Burks. I don't know what that part is about. Where they make the mayonnaise. Um, okay. Man. That's where the Mayo Clinic started. Yeah. Uh, Henry II goes to Ireland, gets the Nor I, I should have reviewed this stuff more. I don't remember this shit. Uh, gets the Normans and the King of Leinster to sign a treaty. Windsor Treaty said 1175. Southeast Ireland is now a part of England. Um, okay, Pope Alexander II asked... Oh, that's right. Pope Alexander II sent King Henry to Ireland to make it part of uh to to like there's all these like monasteries out there and they'd lost touch with rome i guess and sent the king to like go and reconnect them with rome set up the postage service there again i don't know so they could keep keep in touch um <laughs> okay so the norman lords establishes inland earldoms they sign a magna carta of ireland and they integrate for like 300 years we're skipping about 300 years um Note that, like, back then, everyone here is this, is Catholic, right? So, like, there's no, like, there's there's probably, there's not as much, like, ethnic divide in Ireland at the time. So, like, people sure. speak the same language and, like, integrate. And this phrase, like, that the, that the Normans had become more Irish than the Irish gets said a lot in, like, histories of this. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what they mean, but they're just trying to say that, like, this isn't, like, the later Protestant English plantations. The, we have a question about yeah. the map first. Yeah. 
Is this where the phrase beyond the pale comes from? Oh yeah, it is. This is a, that's what we're getting into. The pale. Um, so the Normans, not the Normans, the, uh, the English Normans. I don't know, man. Very confused by this. Now, again, medieval history, not my, not my bag. Um, so they retreat. That's right. So like this idea of like pushing this or er, creating this earldom out there, uh, they, they get pushed back by like Celtic resistance. And eventually the only area with like strong rule by the British king is the area immediately around Dublin. So they set up a fence like a, of spikes that they refer to as the <laughs> pale. The pale is like the wall around it. And so there's the like the world is separated between the pale and the world beyond the pale. Um, so the the pale of civilization, which is then just becomes part of the like British metaphoric language to refer to all the other places they go and like, you know, you got this like area right around Cape Town that's your pale of civilization, yeah, so, right? You got your Sydney so, Harbor. So that, basically, <laughs> yeah. So basically, you have your green zone. Mm-hmm. Uh, just jumping jumping into uh, the early 2000s. <laughs> right, right. It, is, it totally is. Right, so this is when they institute the Statutes of Kilkenny. It's a 1366 law. It outlaws the Irish language and uh, intermarriage uh, between Irish and English within the Pale. So start to, like, the British start losing some fights, and that's when the, like, ethnic divisions start to enter in. Um, okay, so... So, so is the pale be go going to become a sort of apartheid area? Um, for this period of time, sort of. It it really goes away um, in the next century or so. Um, okay. With the Tudor conquest of of Ireland, not the next century. It's in the fifteen hundreds. So we get to Ireland circa fifteen hundred. I have a, l a link for that as well uh, to send Nico a map. Again, you can't see these maps, listener out there. Um, really, they can't see the maps? No, they can't. They're actually, Why? they also exist in the future, which is really odd. Why? Like, Why they oh, no. see the map? I don't get it. Huh. Is this a comedy podcast? Can you hear me? I can hear you. I was making a stupid, dry, sarcastic joke. Oh, nice. Man, this map is insane. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that one. Um, <laughs> so I like how all of the like Irish names are in this like wild ass font, and then like the the British places just get Times New Roman. Right, that's and they're the, all white. That's how <laughs> the uh, yeah, <laughs> that's how the like street signs are in Dublin though. It's just like the Irish language is in it's in like Lord of the Rings font. <laughs> um, that's the irish font they like they like that one i guess um let's see uh so henry the eighth that's where we are So, 
we have under the Kingdom of Ireland, there is these the Earls, the Earldom of Kildare. Oh. What? Okay. What? So, so this is Ireland circa the ref, like the beginning of the Reformation, right? This is sort of like lit, like the like Ireland as it existed just before the Reformation, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is like setting the stage for Reformation. This is again like this is Catholic Ireland. It's just whether or not it's mm-hmm. English controlled catholic ireland or like independent catholic ireland um but so we've got so we've got a little bit of uh of xenophobia going on in the pale right there's these skirmishes right between the irish and the english right now Mm -hmm. is this and and english control is most concentrated in the pale is that right right um okay and and it's a little bit to the south and southeast but um the the thing is like the English king is, you know, or is like the Lord protect, not Lord protector. That's a different title. The Lord of Ireland by authority of the Pope. Right. So like the Pope recognizes that like the true, like Christian ruler of Ireland is the king in, in England. Right. Okay. But people in Ireland, despite also being Christians, like Ireland has been more independent from the rest of Christendom for like most of the middle ages um they they like recognize the authority of the pope but but then like don't necessarily recognize that the pope has put like the king of england in place as their lord right so it's like there's there's not you know there's not like total consensus within the like governing body of christendom in this era um sure which is i, I don't know it's like sense. interesting it's like it I'm thinking of that in context of like just the way we think about governments in history. We often like draw strict borders and think of things as being consistent internally, but like there's like competition within ranks of, of like people on the same team. Um, anyway. Okay. So as we get into the, the, the issues around, uh, let's see Silken Thomas is going to be our main character for a little bit. Um, Thomas Earl of Kildare, nicknamed silken thomas because he's a softy um <laughs> he uh so he's like in charge in in, uh, in dublin is that where kildare would be anyway um no earl of kildare so you see it like no, just no. just next to the pale there on the map yeah um just east of the dublin area oh east i thought you said weast weast what kind of compass are you reading lad Right. He he hears that uh, his father's been executed by the, by the king, and he uh, which is not true, but he he hears it, and then he goes to renounce his allegiance to to England, um, and and he wavers on the on the matter, and then uh, uh, where does he go? I think to Dublin to Dublin Castle to go and like renounce the earldom, say he's not going to like okay. serve the king because the king executed his dad. Um, he gets there and a priest friend like stops him from renouncing his earldom. And then like, this is like this kind of medieval history. Again, I don't really know how to approach this history as well as I do more modern stuff. Man, I hate how fucking hedgy I get because of (laughs) academia. I should just like confidently spout bullshit. That's what podcasting is about. Instead of like, yeah, don't, don't hedge. Okay. So no one, no, no one important is listening to this. 
I think that all and, of my listeners and, are important, Nico. All of my listeners are very well, important. No, 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 no. No, we're all we're all little ants to be squished by the Lord Himself. <laughs> um, that's Nico saying that, not me. I I care about all of you, um, uh, all ten of you. Um, let's see. Okay, so uh, so a harpist comes into the room. This is like, okay, so we're in like a, let's set the scene. We're in a throne room in the Dublin castle. This guy's just barged in to say, I know that my dad's dead and I'm supposed to be the Earl now, but I don't want to. I'm going to renounce my allegiance. And then a priest steps in, like runs in behind him and is like, don't do it, Thomas. It's not worth it. And then a guy picks up a harp and starts reciting a poem about the brave deeds of Thomas's Irish ancestors. (laughs) Um, <laughs> I have in my notes here. Thomas was English, so I don't know if they're even his ancestors. Um, and he says, "Quote: I have more mind to meet him on the field than serve him as deputy." I think referring to the king. Um, he throws down his royal sword and he leaves the room. The um, what does that mean? What did he do? <laughs> uh, he's just like he got he renounced to the earldom and. And then the priest. Okay, so he did do it. Yes, Father Allen, the priest, uh, gets killed by by somebody, I, I, by bees. I must have written that wrong. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Oh, my eyes! <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> maybe the priest was killed by bees. You, you've been swarmed by the king's bees. <laughs> You've been destroyed by the king's bees. I'm I'm picking up a harp <laughs> to play to the bees. Let me tell you about your Irish ancestors that aren't Irish. Um, also, this I don't know what this is. This is like uh, it's like I'm basically doing uh, Jake Flores's John Brown. So I don't know like <laughs> where this voice is going at all. Oh man, I uh. I'm I'm currently also imagining. Have you seen the Harp Twins videos? No. Uh, I was just imagining the Harp Twins stepping into this. Maybe I'll throw a Harp Twins video into the chat just so you can appreciate who they are. Dad is now actually killed. I have this in my notes. It says, "Read the weird quotes." Okay. I'm clicking a link. Oh, <laughs> why would I? This link is way too long. Okay. My lords, it is not a pretty master that all we should stay this long for a boy. My lords, I am heartily sorry that you stayed this long for a boy. Why did I tell myself to do this? I will take the market as it riseth and will choose rather to die with Viliantes and liberty than to live under King Henry in bondage and villainy. Okay, so the guy talks in rhymes. Uh, Apparently... When I was reading this, I thought it was interesting and worth putting in here. Uh, let's get back to it and see why this even matters. Um, so Thomas builds his forces for another attack. Half his troops go home before they lose. All his men are beheaded. Thomas Cromwell oversees the surrender, which is unconditional. So that's that's um, Oliver Cromwell's like dad or, or granddad. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's his uncle. Thomas and his family are tortured at the Tower of London. 
He's eventually executed at the age of 24. So why did I have this in here? So this is a fun. So just because he thought he thought his dad was killed, but his dad wasn't killed, and so he basically got himself fucking owned because he thought his dad was dead. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and and so everyone remembers him as a as a ginormous loser. Yes. That's Silk why he's Thomas. called what the Silken One. Silken Thomas. I figured out why so this you, is in here. Basically, <laughs> basically, you just wanted to to put in a story of some some uh, big loser. Yeah, because um, it's not even about like it's just English people against English people, right? Because this guy is not even Irish, even though he ostensibly, according to the harpist, not the two girls one harp, but the <laughs> old ass harpist who's Irish, he has he has Irish ancestors, man. This is this is uh, it's just English people. It's an English loser getting owned. Yeah, but he's like part of that like Irish English. I don't know. Oh, okay. So this is why it's in here. I remember now because this whole saga. It's like I'm Scots Irish. <laughs> he's Anglo Irish. Yeah. So this is the whole okay. reason it's in here is this. This is what this this ordeal prompts King Henry VIII to reestablish himself as king of Ireland with the title king of Ireland, not just lord of Ireland, and, like, take more effective control of it. So he stations troops. Just because this guy was 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 whining? I mean, the guy built up an army to, to help him. They, they lost, but um, I don't know. I think King Henry reflects on, on this, and he's like, you know what? We should keep a better eye on Ireland. <laughs> and so they station troops all over. Damn it. Damn it. This guy fucked it up for everybody else. Oh, yeah. I mean, if there's a person who fucked up a lot of European history, a lot of world history, King Henry VIII. <laughs> oh, I was thinking about Thomas. Still. Oh, <laughs> Thomas fucked up a lot of stuff, too. <laughs> um, but just for Ireland, I mean, he's not, he, you know. Yeah. With the new troops stationed in Ireland, uh, there's this policy of surrender and regrant. That's where the, the English troops are like, Give your land to the king, and we will grant it back to you. Um, and if any lord that does that, this is feudal, right? It's like this is like going one person sure. per like town. If you surrender it to mm. us, we'll give it back to you and give you a seat in the House of Lords, right? Like you'll have a seat in Parliament. Um, it's just that we, uh, you own your land under our permission now, right? Um, so that's okay. they end up. You know, so basically, this is how like all of the Ireland house, is formally now part of the like parliamentary the, structure. The House of Lords in like the English Parliament, right in Westminster. Right. Um, so, well, I guess it probably wasn't in Westminster at the time, but anyway, we'll say Westminster. After um, Henry's death, chaos ensues. So, all right, so maybe the whole Silken Times, <laughs> man, a mess. I think the Silk and Thomas incident started, co- coincided with the, the English Reformation, with Henry leaving the church. Um, so after Henry dies, uh, chaos ensues. The Irish clans um, are fighting each other. They're raiding the Pale. Um, then, uh, let's see. There's like a war, a, like kind of a civil war within Leinster, within Munster, and then within other places. I didn't explain this. There's four kingdoms in Ireland. There's Leinster, okay. Munster, Ulster, and uh, Connacht. 
Is that where the cheese comes from? Connect? Or no, Munster. Munster. Yeah, probably. Um, cool. The It's basically like northeast, south, and west Ireland, right? Um, okay. So like Limerick is in, or Tipperary is in Munster. Uh, Galway is in Connacht. Dublin's in Lyme. Limerick is where they got bars. Mm-hmm. Right. But mostly about like men from Nantucket. Um, and then Ulster is where Belfast is, right? So like Ulster is the northern bit. Ulster is like the most Irish part of Ireland at this time, which is why it then later becomes the most English part of Ireland in retaliation. Um, the Ulster, you know the Ulster flag? You know, it looks, no. It's a red hand on a star. Um, it's like a super badass flag. Um, I don't have one here to link to you. Okay, I'll look it up. It's cool. Flag of Ulster. There's a lot of versions of it, but it's this like red hand with a bl- drop of blood below it. It's one of the main ones. Damn. Yeah. It's like super fascist looking flag, right? Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's cool. Yeah. Um, so like it's... I mean, uh, and it's not fascist. Well, it it's used by fascists now. Um, what? No, but not exclusively. <laughs> um, yeah, the Ulster... Why did we let the fascists have the red hand? The red one! Yeah. Um, yeah, that is true. The The red hand is... So the, the it's, there's a lot of legends around it, but the, the legend of the red hand is that it comes from... So there were like these brothers who were from Scotland who were having a race to, to claim Ireland. And they said whoever sets whoever like claim, touches the land first can claim the island, and one of them was losing the race, either in a boat or swimming to the island, and they uh, so he cuts off his hand and throws it so that his hand goes over his brother and, and lands on the beach, and uh, and he claims it first, and so that's where like the red hand of Ulster is the like, sack you know cutting off your hand to claim Ireland. Um, yeah, I guess that's sort of like a colonial ass thing, so maybe we don't want it. <laughs> it. It was just a neutral like this is the symbol of Ulster for a long time, but once defining Ulster as separate from the rest of Ireland became synonymous with like resisting you know, with with monarchism, then it became right. a more um right-wing symbol. But there are like there are Republican militias in Northern Ireland still who wave the old Ulster flag, which is yellow instead of white with the red hand. Um, yeah, so I see one that's that's gold with a red cross and then a red hand. Right, that one is still used by Catholics more so, whereas the white one is like the English flag with the red hand on it and a crown. Any one of them right. with a crown on it is not really used by Catholics as much. It, it, it also, like the red hand is inside uh, a six-pointed star. Yeah. Which almost looks like a Star of David. So it's the six points for the six counties. Um, there are nine counties Ulster. in Ulster, but three of them are not part of the UK anymore. And so they have done this like revisionist thing of, oh, the six counties of Ulster, the six historic counties of Ulster. You'll hear that from, from unionists all over <laughs> Northern Ireland is that Ulster is historically six counties, which it's not. It's historically nine. Um, but three of them are in Ireland. Yes. Not a controversial bit of history um, to say that it's nine instead of six, but but people will still say that. No, it's always been six. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 
it's just one of those like it's like the the civil war being about states rights or something it's like sure but states rights for what <laughs> um, <laughs> um okay uh so surrender and regrant we got kind of chaos uh, pope Pius v uh declares queen elizabeth a heretic in 1570 and sends troops to help the irish fight against the english um so that that's something um anyway elizabeth goes elizabeth goes fucking ham on the irish queen elizabeth so like Eliz had a lot of people killed so elizabeth is after henry mm -hmm. okay this is like everything the line of secession in england after henry is a total fucking mess i'm not going to get it right uh, go and look it up. Go on Wikipedia and watch. look at something with a chart if you're listening to this and you want to really know what the line of secession was. It's chaotic. It's like there's Mary, Queen of Scots. There's the Jameses and the Charleses. I'm going to do my best. But um, just know that Elizabeth Elizabeth is like raised Protestant, right? Whereas like Mary was raised Catholic and James is raised Catholic. Like there's like there's difference between like which members of the royal family were raised Catholic and which ones were like born after the Reformation where like they were raised protestant so in a way the like back and forth of the english civil war and the wars of secession is has a lot to it's like a generational conflict as well um but um elizabeth is one of these like she's a committed protestant right so like henry the eighth was 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 in constant communication with like martin luther and thomas moore and others right like henry the eighth was actually like had theological positions it wasn't just i want to get a divorce so I'm leaving the church. He also had theological arguments to make. Um, so Elizabeth has been raised in that. And so she sees the Catholics in Ireland as like, you know, non-Christians in a way. And so there's like, the only people who are willing, able to own land officially, like in Ireland under Elizabeth are gonna be um, Protestants, you know, like, and it keeps going back and forth where like the king will be, the queen or the king or queen will be Protestant, and the next one will take over, and they'll be Catholic. Um, and Ireland just is kind of the political football between the throughout the whole wars of secession. Oh yeah, Henry Henry and Elizabeth both confiscated monasteries and turned them into plantations. Um, cool. Yeah, <laughs> big fan of that. <laughs> so, and then then the well, hey, they confiscated uh, church land in. Communists confiscated church land in Mexico and Guatemala, so. <laughs> I guess I guess it sort of depends, like who is doing the the uh, who's who is controlling what. I think is ultimately important. Yeah, I guess saying, "Hey, stop, stop brewing your beer and writing your Bibles." I need to make money. <laughs> it's a lot different. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the the king needs to make money, or the queen needs to make money. I, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, I am a big fan of um, oh, uh, you you priests are out here just like terrorizing indigenous people. Actually, the working class is going to appropriate your land for a commune. I think I like that a little bit better. Right. Yeah. That that's fair. Um. <laughs> Okay, uh, so the first wave of these master planters in the 16th century uh, are a group called the West Country Men, because they're almost all from the, the West Country, which is like the southwest tip of England. Um, these guys are like the ones who will come together later to form the Virginia Company, including like Francis Drake and people like him. So 
the, basically these people like Virginia company that's going to end up in the U.S. Yeah. So this is a group of guys who like they got permits to go and you know confiscate a monastery and turn it into a plantation with some Irish slaves, and then applied for another permit to like go to Virginia and and repeat the process. Um, okay, so we're this is the proto proto multinational. Yes, exactly. This is like Ireland is like step one for colonialism in in England, right? Like this is. And not even just that, it's also like literally the launching point because it's Ireland. So this is a this is a reason to care about this story mm -hmm. because it's, it's, it's uh, uh, we're, we're learning about how um, empire expands and how, and I mean, I guess this is pre-capitalism, but it's like proto-capitalism, right? So right. this is, we're learning about how like primitive accumulation of things, right? Yeah, and this is an enclosure movement. Right. This is mm -hmm. this is um, going to a place with communal lands and taking them and employing the people as I mean, it, it is like feudalism still, but it is like. Um, but it's not. Yeah, it's not employing, is it? No, no, <laughs> At this point. no. But these, these people are also like they're forming joint stock companies and stuff. So like ri socialized risk and like monetized um, production and stuff is is like taking off. This is really like transformation toward capitalism um and uh, uh the other significance of ireland too like the colonial story is that um ireland sits way further west than most of europe um like there's a reason spain and portugal are more successful or like like are the ones doing the colonization in south america they're way closer to it right and portugal has control of the azores like that's the first step Portugal takes control of the Azores out in the middle of the Atlantic, and then from there launches the colonization of Brazil. The same way that England like takes Ireland, and Ireland is a foothold to like build ships and go to North America. Gotcha. Um, it's like it, it gives them they have less distance to travel between Ireland and Virginia than you would have going from I don't know Germany or Poland, right? Okay, so plantations. So there's the plantations of Ulster under James and then under Cromwell as well. Um, this is the moment, big moment of the Irish question. Quick rundown of the English Civil War. That's what I have next in my notes, so why not? Um, Elizabeth dies in 1603, makes James the first king of England, Scotland, and Ireland. James was Scottish and Catholic. So J James son of Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, and who his mom had been beheaded for plotting against Elizabeth on behalf of the French and Spanish. Uh, oh no, James is Protestant. Fuck, see, this is where I'm gonna get a ton of shit wrong because the English Civil War is really complicated. Um, so The only people who care are historians, Jacob. Cool. I don't give a shit. Just general disclaimer, anything you hear here, go and look it up. Um, gunpowder plot. <laughs> um, so there's the gunpowder plot, right? That's the, the 5th of November, the... Guy Fox. It is to Madame Justice that I dedicate this concerto in honor of the holiday she seems to have taken from these parts and in recognition of the imposter that stands in her stead. Tell me, do you know what day it is, Evie? Um, November the 4th. Not anymore. Plot to, to blow up Parliament. Guy Fox is Catholic. So when he gets captured and and 
that remember the 5th of November that like to this day British kids still burn effigies of this guy um that is like part of an anti-catholic hatred right if it was a if it if it was just a protestant guy who had opinions about parliament blowing it up it would have been one thing but it was a catholic guy who wanted to blow up parliament and so like that's it was, an, it was an irish catholic guy right no he's he's english and catholic but this is you know uh, mid-reformation um okay um so the gunpowder plot ramps up a lot of the anti-catholic sentiment and laws against catholicism there's the flight of the earls is this significant event um where two ulster chieftains who are earls um they've been fighting against england so the o'neills and the o'donnells um they make uh oh yeah that's right so they're these guys who are chieftains they made a deal with james james made them earls and uh and gave them plots of land but then they realized that like they had been tricked they had given they've been given like tiny plots of land that were really separate from each other and that they couldn't actually like profit from or live off of um and so they leave ireland to go to spain to uh rally um spanish armada to come in on behalf of catholicism like on behalf of the pope whatever retake ireland from it from the from the even humans. though these people were about they, even though these people don't actually give a shit about catholicism right all they wanted was their land right um well they never come back it's called the flight of the earls because they like they the people oh, okay. people sent them away like expecting to come back they didn't come back um the spanish armada then like is destroyed by the british uh quick correction from the future the Spanish Armada was destroyed by the British in 1588. The Flight of the Earls is in 1607. They're unrelated things. Well, they're kind of related, but anyway, I was just wrong there. Um, back to it. Um, and uh, and that's kind of did, kind of the wait, end of did, that. Did the did the Spanish Armada respond to these Earls? Like, did did they actually try to go to Ireland? They were in. I think that was part of the larger plan, but that it just never really took off that the earls were like in spain for a long time just like probably just like hanging out at bars trying to convince people or like probably just hanging around the court in madrid just like trying to convince someone <laughs> to that it was worth fighting for <laughs> ireland at this time what would an irish person and a spanish person what what language would they be speaking i think English? the spanish would be speaking castilian spanish right no 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 sure but how would they be talking to each other i guess oh uh, latin or French or Spanish. I don't know. That doesn't matter. I was just curious. I don't think English was a, was a go-between in any case. I think English would have been mm. a minority language that you had to learn another one if you were going to okay. go to continental Europe. Um, gotcha. Um, let's see. So James is, while James is the king, he sets up the uh, plantation of Ulster, right? This is, it still exists today. This is like all these cities across Northern Ireland are built with these like Roman. So the earls, so the earls are kind of ceding power. There's some right. power vacuum in Ulster now. Yes, and so then James moves in, and this is why Northern Ireland becomes the Protestant part of Ireland, is that James moves in, and the the plantation is like giving out permits to Scottish Presbyterians and people from the Church of England to move to Northern Ireland. And it's like if you move to Northern Ireland, you can have, you know. A house in this walled walled city we're building and a tract of land to profit from and some irish um serfs to work it you know 
Mm. That's the plantation, right? The same way, like the plantation of the South, the plantation of South Carolina or something like it's, it's a similar process. Mm. Uh, It's going and enacting feudalism in another place. So colonialism um, is referred (laughs) to as plantation. Um, Planting cities, planting. The only people who use that, that terminology anymore, weirdly enough, are like evangelical uh, pastors, right? (laughs) I'm going to go do church planting. Yeah. <laughs> um so they build these like walled cities. Derry is still a walled city, right? Like it's there are these like three and four sided walled cities, these like Roman designs. Um but a lot of them are just like built where a city already was. Like Derry is built really badly for like they built these walls and the reason that Derry still has its walls is that um no one ever needed to tear down the walls in order to invade the city. It's like surrounded by hills. You can very easily put cannons on the top of the hills and just shoot over the wall. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they still have walls in Malta because no one ever invaded Malta, I'm pretty sure. I don't know Maltese history, but it's like any place in Europe that's like, wow, we had the oldest walls in Europe. It just means they were never actually attacked or they were bi- or the walls were unnecessary. Right. Um, okay. Anyway, so... In 1607, they outlaw any Catholics holding office, so no Catholics in Parliament anymore. Um, Catholic churches are all transferred to the Church of England, and Catholics have to pay fines for missing church. Like if if you aren't present at a church of an Anglican church on a Sunday, you have to pay a fine. So anyone who wishes to remain Catholic in Ireland is like going broke. It's the like you create a system of debt and then you make people serfs, right? yeah um yeah so then uh so yeah uh (laughs) economics is sort of like actually what's moving things here right 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 and you know the 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 church has has a lot less to do with it um and (laughs) i mean and you can start to i mean you can start to understand like the why like so many Irish Catholics were willing to build bombs and pick up guns later on, right? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. This is it's it's oppression. Yeah, it's and it's it's been just endless. Vis a vis religion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a fear in 1640s that um, some people in England want to invade Ireland and kill every last Catholic. The people under like Oliver Cromwell's branch, the Puritans, right, um, who want to purify the church, um, purify, do some ethnic cleansing in Ireland. That that's the fear in Ireland. So um, they mount a rebellion in 1641 uh, and end up murdering a whole lot of the planters, um, just just slaughtering planters. Yeah. Uh, this is when. Uh, or are these serfs who are rebelling? Yeah serfs under the command of priests and and former lords who had their land taken and so. okay um so oliver cromwell right who's i think he's the prime minister technically at the time i could be wrong on the title mm-hmm. but he thinks that the king charles the first is simple sympathetic to the to the rebels in this cause and mm-hmm. so he musters um you know push for the illegitimacy of the king the king he um i briefly confused the english civil war and the 30 years war here just 
uh, look it up on your own if you're confused as well. Um, this is when the Thirty Years' War commences. Um, well, the Thirty Years' War is between England and France, so it's it's like a Protestant Catholic conflict. I think the Thirty Years' War is also when like more of the German population gets killed than World War than either of the World Wars. Um, let's see. Uh, so that's right. Okay, so Ireland is almost de facto no longer under English control during the Thirty Years' War. They form an Irish Confederacy. It's about three quarters of the island is under the control of the Confederacy. Um, mm-hmm. And they side with Charles in the war. Um, but Charles loses that war. Oliver Cromwell has him beheaded, declares himself Lord Protector of England, um, and lead, creates what he calls the New Model Army. Um, it's under the authority of Scottish and English Parliament. Um, against the king. So it's like the roundheads and the cavaliers are the factions at this point. Um, 1648 is when the king's beheaded. Okay, declares that England is a republic now. Um, and his first act is, in my notes, it says... So, so, so the anti-monarchism mm-hmm. in Britain is tied up in anti-Catholic and anti-Irish sentiment. Yes. Oh, great. No, Cromwell's a monster. Like, <laughs> he's also, I mean, he's a Republican and a Puritan. And like, you know, he's like, but he's, he's like a, uh, just a, oh, what's the, I don't know, just such a zealot for like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the anti-authority part of it, right? It's like belief in like rejection of hereditary authority, but it's enacted through like anyone even poor people who still believe in any kind of hereditary authority need to die <laughs> so it's pretty ridiculous. yeah it seems bad yeah i have in my notes it says a uh, time to go ape on ireland um cromwell massacres uh 20, soldiers and two hundred thousand civilians um across ireland and then a ho- over a hundred thousand irish are transported to the west indies to, to the sugar plantations um as uh, indentured servants. Um, okay, yeah. So this is getting clearer and clearer. <laughs> right. So this is every every, every uh, century. So, so this is how you end up with so well. This one of the reasons you end up with so many Irish Americans and Irish Australians. This is sort of the first wave of it. Is that they're sent as late as a free labor force in the American colonies. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's when people say, like, oh, the Irish were the original slaves, you know? Like, black people complain about being slaves. Irish were slaves, too. It, it, it's somewhat true, right? The Irish were slaves to the English, um, typically under an indenture, at which point they'd be released at some point. Um, mm-hmm. And it was never racialized to where, like, you could disguise the fact that you were Irish, right? Sure. Right? If you escaped from, you know, a tobacco plantation in Virginia to make it to, like, a Puritan colony in massachusetts or something you could just be like you know you could be paul yeah you just you just stop call stop calling yourself beto o'rourke right (laughs) and call yourself like william uh uh smith i don't know right and and that's like the major difference here i think like it's important to know i think honestly that whole like Irish or the the original slaves argument is is generally brought up by people who want to diminish the like um, racial justice arguments, but like it should be a point of solidarity, right? 
It should be like, right. Yeah, my ancestors were also victims of colonialism. I just have a skin color that allowed it to pass later. Like a, a different generation, we were able to get to to integrate. You know. Well, yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> this lasted up until the 19th century. Like the the racialization and the distinction between Irish and uh, like other Western Europeans, right? Or mostly, I, I guess, probably Anglo Anglo Europeans. Like it, it lasted for a really long time. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're uh, there, there is this sort of strategic use by the ruling class to always, um, uh, like, integrate people into whiteness as it suits them. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It and it's as you're. I mean, and we'll see later in this story too. It's just like as you're losing your majority or losing control of like a potentially rebellious situation, you like find concessions to make. Right. You expand your definitions, right? right? Yeah. Which which is, you know, just to jump to 2020, which is a little bit uh, of what happened in uh, this election. You're you're seeing uh, Democrats are acting all stupid and surprised that some Latinos that or or that generally Latinos have moved towards Trump in the last four years. Mm-hmm. But it's it's uh, an old ass playbook. It's it's from uh, the 1600s. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, well, you want to go into well, not the not the 1600s, but maybe more like uh, the the 1800s. No, no, it's 1600s. Dude. In in the Latin American colonies, uh, like under the Spanish legal system, you could literally buy a a certificate of whiteness <laughs> no shit yeah if you were uh if you were african descent or or indigenous descent you could like pay to like move up a caste yeah um and and that would allow you to have money yeah and then that would allow you to marry someone who is like a peninsular and like mm-hmm. and then your kids would like wouldn't need you know would be in the next level up and yeah man that shit is ingrained (laughs) yeah there's some pretty interesting stories about like like that being brought before like high courts you know that system had been just functional for a long time and then like someone actually challenged it and like deciding what the like church and spanish like crown doctrines defended that system (laughs) is is super i don't don't remember the details yeah there are these like super dystopian i'm sure you've seen them there's these super dystopian graphics of of the cat of the racial caste system in the new world right yeah have you seen that shit yeah the like it's 16 so scary mm-hmm. the 16 versions of humans yeah well the weird ones are where it's like once you have if you have like one african and one european and then like their kids marry like are marry an African, and their kids marry an African, and their kids marry an African, and then and then you get an albino. <laughs> it's this idea that, like they were starting to notice. It's like because it's the origins of genetic research too. It's like they're starting to notice like recessive traits or like an albinism and stuff. And like uh-huh. some guy just had this theory. He's like, oh, what it is is it's that like there's a white ancestor five generations back who's like popping up. That's what albinos are. <laughs> 
like whenever a whenever a, like any like person of color has a has an albino child it's because they have a white ancestor whose genes have like resurfaced which is not the case no <laughs> no it's just a mutation so. Um, so yeah so 100,000 Irish transported to the West Indies more than 500,000 starve in Ireland um, one sixth of that were Protestants so it's not just Catholics who are suffering from this but largely it's Catholics Cromwell's directive is to send people to hell or connect and it's like either move to the western province or die um so cromwell let's see one weird thing about i just know like oliver cromwell is like always wearing armor in all of his pictures i actually have a i have a link to send if you want you've seen pictures of oliver cromwell before though right and, oh man he looks like shit <laughs> yeah my man oh wait this is a oh i didn't realize what link i sent you this is a <laughs> this is a painting in uh, in Derry, I think, or maybe Belfast. This is in Belfast. Oh, it's so funny. This is um some, painted by someone today who was like Oliver Cromwell's our hero, Lord Protector of the Protestant a, faith. <laughs> yeah, he looks like shit. Our clergy persecuted. This is supposed to be so. This is this is it's it's really bad news for Oliver Cromwell because. This is a person who's trying to like idolize him and he still looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, this doesn't include the armor, but you can imagine he's just wearing like steel plate armor all the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Well, because he's a Puritan. He believes in this like um, practicality of dress. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, th there's murals like that all over Belfast um uh like the worse the mural the like more you should be afraid of walking around that neighborhood in the dark um, <laughs> um okay so in 1660 charles ii becomes king he's a protestant despite who his relatives were he's reinstated from his exile in den haag the hague um the netherlands dies in 1685 mm. replaced with james ii who was who had been raised in france as a catholic um this upsets people who have gotten used to this like 50 years of protestant rule you know, like 40 years of protestant rule um and so triggers the glorious revolution which is when william and mary join join up get married uh join their like kingdoms and uh and fight to remove the catholic king from england James or William being from the Netherlands, right? Um, this is the Willemite. Um, this is the Willemite versus the Jacobite, right? Uh, so the Jacobites are the Catholics okay. and the Willemites are the Protestants. Hold up for a second. Ah. Hold up for a second. I live in the Willamette Valley. Is, is that where that comes from? It might be. It's spelled the same. That's it. That would, that. I don't want to live here. <laughs> okay, so I looked it up, and the Willamette River Valley name actually comes from a from a Clackamas Native American word uh, via French. So nothing to worry about there. So they have a, a a war between each other, which James left fled from England after some initial losses and went to Ireland, and he got Irish Catholics to fight for him um william then like invades ireland to track down and kill james uh they clash at Derry, uh 
which with the siege of Derry uh, is one of the most important. So the siege of Derry and the battle of the Boyne are like the two big things here that happened in the in the Willamite War. Um, the siege of Derry. Uh, there's an altar boy who runs around and uh, and locks all the gates and like they still have the locks that were put on the gates in in the church there. Got to see those. They're kind of cool. There the Protestant people in Derry are extremely proud of of all of the siege stuff and about how they like, they held off the Catholic hordes sieging their, their town. Um, mm -hmm. uh, because Catholics lived outside of the towns and Protestants lived in the towns where they were protected. Um, mm -hmm. So resupply comes from up the river, Protestants hold out. Um, yeah, that's right. They reenact and celebrate that siege every year. Um, still uh, it's, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a civil war reenactment kind of thing. You know, it's like, you haven't really dealt with the consequences of this. I haven't like really reconciled this history. So <laughs> time to keep doing it. Um, the Battle of the Boyne yeah. happens on the Boyne River. William wins, signs a treaty, gives up a little bit of land. Um, but, but anyway, the Battle of the Boyne is celebrated on the 12th of July with bonfires and parades in Northern Ireland um, by exclusively um, Catholic, uh, sorry, exclusively Protestants um, almost exclusively like very reactionary um people and they do these like four-story bonfires in the middle of the city yeah yeah, yeah. i think i <clears throat> i think i've seen this before it's super weird there was like a year-long yeah. march yeah. a few years back for like so the july 12th march these guys were orange orange order guys were marching through they plan their their parade routes where they just march through all the poor catholic neighborhoods and uh and they were doing that, and some some people just came out and just like blocked the road off, and were like "fuck you, go home," and uh, and they stood there just like playing their drums and stuff, waiting to to go through, waiting basically waiting for the cops to come and help them, and uh, it didn't happen, and they just <laughs> ended up having like a year long standoff, just like a couple old guys on either side, just like retirees, just manning a roadblock and w marching, waiting for the roadblock to be removed. <laughs> And it never turned violent. It was just people looking at each other, just no, old yeah, was, men, just like. Yep, that's an old guy standing. They didn't. There was there was no sort of like uh, beautiful sort of resolution where they realized that they were both the same, no. and that they like just wanted to smoke a bowl together. No, that was while I was there in 2014 that that was just going on. It was just like, nope. There was just like, <laughs> it was in some weird neighborhood too. Like it wasn't a place people would, would go through on accident. <laughs> did know. they just like yell at each other just like for a year or did yeah. they just sit there i think they mostly sat there because it's kind of tiring to yell That's bizarre <laughs> yeah it's like a strike almost though it's just like come and support the <laughs> yeah 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 no yeah. for sure um sure. okay so now we get into uh the colonial more colonial era stuff see james is referred to as the old pretender he uh he ended up moving to the vatican um no wait, he remains sorry he stayed in ireland and remained the vatican recognized king until 1766 like his line of of sons the the pope still considered them the kings of england for another hundred years um which uh has some implications for spain that's too complicated to get into i'm not gonna bother okay um the penal laws right so following the glorious revolution in which 
Protestantism is solidified as the, and the Church of England is solidified as like the Church of, of the UK. It's not the UK yet, but whatever. Um, they institute the penal laws, uh, which is these like set of pun of of laws like against Catholics. Okay. Okay. To quote from Edmund Burke, you know Edmund Burke, philosopher. Yeah, him and uh, John Stuart Mill were both in Parliament, not at the same time. Anyway, he's one of those parliamentarian philosophers. Um, uh, Burke was Burke wasn't was Burke Irish? Burke might have been Irish. Anyway, he says, uh, "This is a quote." It says, "A machine of wise and elaborate contrivance, as well fitted for the oppression, impoverishment, and degradation of a people, and the debasement in them of human nature itself, as ever proceeded from the." perverted ingenuity of man <laughs> this is a description of the penal laws is like <laughs> the most perverted yes. and elaborate contrivance to of oppression ever ever implemented <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's it's inspired by the french treatment of of the huguenots um who are protestants living in france uh the french banished them and made all these laws against protestantism well, the English then did the same to Catholics. So the uh, Adventurers Act of 1652 confiscated all Catholic property. Um, then priests were uh, could be executed for, for giving mass, which led to the rise of mass caves where priests would hide out in a cave in order to, to do the sacraments. The Presbyterians are also banned from holding any public office in 1707. Uh, property act uh requires that catholics have to divide their land between their all of their sons instead of passing it on to just the oldest um that's like a real clever way to destroy um power in a group of people is saying that you have every every generation you have to subdivide your land amongst all your kids um interesting creates a class of small holders whereas the Protestants can remain monopolists. Um, all non-Anglican marriages are annulled. I'm really, I'm, I'm really opposed to that as an oldest child. <laughs> really, really against that penal law personally. <laughs> I hate, I, I hate my brother. Um, I, even though he wins me trivia all the time. <laughs> I would be happy to have that law enacted if it was enacted on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> But saying just like oh yeah, it actually, I mean it seems like a great law if if it's equitable if everyone has to yeah abide by it. all inheritances must be just evenly distributed um, amongst everyone not fam <laughs> not just your family um, yeah. okay um, no new stone churches only wooden churches uh, no Catholics are not allowed to teach school and they're also not allowed to own guns so okay. So at this point, are <clears throat> in Great Britain. So in so so Ireland is under British control completely at this point. Uh, yes. Okay. So at at this point, have the English basically created an Irish Catholic? Um, like subclass are they basically all working class yes there are some 
some wealthy Catholics, but they're almost entirely priests. And a lot of this is like really chipping away at the ability to do, to be that, to be in that position too. Okay. Um, but I'm sure there, I think there are like a class of Catholics who have like made deals. Like they're like, okay. In the same way that Jews become the merchant class in a lot of Europe because of anti-Jewish, like anti-Semitic laws. I think a similar Mm -hmm. thing is happening in like amongst merchants. Mm-hmm. But also a lot of like, if you're wealthy and Catholic, and this is happening in Ireland, like you might just move to France or Spain. So this is like sort of an example where like ideas are sort of uh, are exerting some influence on the material reality of people, right? Like, yeah. there's an interaction here. Like, we're we're like pushing against Marx a little bit with this narrative, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, there is, like, a religious conviction is being used as the justification to, like, even remove land from the wealthy. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but only because the all efforts to, to resist that with force have been, are over at this point, right? Like, right. For, we, just, we just read through, like, a hundred years of, you know, the attempt to remove land from the wealthy results in those wealthy people raising an army and fighting back. This is after their defeat. Right? Mm-hmm. After their defeat, you institutionalize the defeat through the law. Right. right. While the British are off fighting uh, colonial troops in the U.S. or in the future United States, there's a lot less um, military. Over- this, is, this is also a trend. This is another like big lesson to take from this story is that like uh, as a problem of empire is that if you send away all of your top guys to handle things in the provinces, you uh, leave yourself mm-hmm. unguarded at home. So all the like top, all the troops are off in America fighting. Um, and so a group of uh, gets together to form the, the volunteers is what they call themselves. So in 1782, Henry Grattan uh, and the volunteers storm Dublin and demand home rule. So, quick definition of that home rule is not independence home rule is like having your own local government that's under the authority of the imperial government um but rather than all laws so this be- is uh it's a it's a compromise right preemptively yes but it's it's as far i mean like this is pre-american Re- this is like mid-american revolution so the idea of like full political independence from a colonial authority isn't really, I mean, it's not been tested yet, right? Um, mm-hmm. The demands will change following the success of the American and French revolutions. Um, but for now, the demand is home rule, which is uh, to have their own smaller parliament in Dublin, um, to, to have a federal system. Okay, so parliament agrees in the 1780s to give to devolve some authority to dublin um and they relax a lot of the penal laws so through between 1783 and 1829 all of the penal laws will be uh repealed steadily um Mm -hmm. which which starts a new revolutionary era right we've like taken a bit of the boot off the neck of the catholics and uh and they start to rise up in response um Speak for yourself, man. I haven't done anything. <laughs> yeah, sorry. My, uh, what, four generations back ancestors at this point? Six generations or so back? I don't know. My my great 
great grandmother wait was from Tipperary. So your what you're saying is your ancestors were oppressing my ancestors. Okay, I get it. I get it, Jake. What? No, no, my ancestors were were poor Irish people, poor Irish Catholics. Oh, okay. So we're both getting oppressed together. Yes. Great. Perfect. Nothing's changed. <laughs> my my uh, Catholic family were Irish, and my Protestant family were were like North German. So like, neither one was in the oppressive group. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. Let's see. So, uh, so Catholics now have access to owning land, which in turn drives up rents all over Ireland. Um. Mm -hmm. And a new, and then the textile industry is starting to emerge in England, right? This is before um, steam looms are anywhere else. They're only in England. The technology hasn't um, been brought anywhere else yet. But um, Catholic labor is seen, now that Catholics are allowed to like have a job and earn a wage, um, Catholic labor is seen by many English as as a, a depressing force on on the labor market right like it's a driving wages down having catholics in the labor force right so that like raises an anti-catholic sentiment amongst the working class um so many catholic um oh yeah and then many catholic revolutionaries are linen merchants and uh just like in the united states where a lot of american revolutionaries are are linen merchants and and newspaper publishers uh, it's a similar thing happens. There's a lot of printing press owners and linen merchants. Uh, like I was saying earlier, like mm. dr driving Catholics out of like land holding pushes the wealthier ones into like a merchant class. Um, okay. So Catholics first become armed illegally. So this is now I'm drawing from um, what's the uh, the historian's name? I should well, I'll credit him at some point. It's in these notes somewhere. Um, article about the like revolutionary and counter-revolutionary forces in ireland at this time i read a pretty good pretty good article about it um like i said the name will show up in here somewhere um so uh catholics first gathering arms illegally in volunteer forces and then legally following the repeal of the laws banning catholics from owning weapons there's a quote here that says catholics were justly excluded from the constitution on the grounds that toleration could not safely be extended to the intolerant nor liberty to its enemies okay so this is like from the point of view of the Protestant groups, like the Orange Order, which is coming soon, um, they like thought that Catholics shouldn't be included in like legal protections because they're because of their intolerance. So like with the rise of these like views about liberty that are coming becoming pretty widespread, right? John Locke's been around mm -hmm. for a long time. People have been reading Locke and and uh, Adam Smith and Hutchinson and others. They're attributing all of these like Liber new libertarian like liberal uh, classically liberal ide ideology to like a protestant um worldview saying it's incompatible with catholicism and that like liberty cannot be extended to the enemies of liberty tolerance to the cannot be extended to the intolerant so there's this like thing going on here where, where people <laughs> who share a similar worldview to someone like thomas jefferson or george washington are the strongest anti-catholics in uh in ireland um and, or at least they're using those similar like rhetorical defenses for it um, mm -hmm. because they think like Catholics are like beyond just being monarchists. They're papists, right? Like they have like a mystical yeah. element to their monarchism. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so this is like uh okay so then there's a group formed in belfast called the society of united irishmen it's founded by protestant dissenters which are like non-anglican protestants so like presbyterians um you know calvinists basically formed this group in mm. belfast in 1791 the one of the main founders is wolf tone um theobald wolf tone who is a French... Hug- Not a name. <laughs> Theobald Wolftone. He's a French Huguenot. So when the French expelled the Huguenots, his family moved to Ireland. Um, is that like an astronaut? Yeah. And it's named a, Hugh? It's, it's a lot like that. Um, it's like... A, <laughs> uh, Mark and Sam Kelly are actually both sorry, Huguenots. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm um, stupid. <laughs> the Huguenots are just... Uh, they were like Dutch, French, Dutch... Uh, pro- Ca- they're French Calvinists. They're not Dutch. They're French Calvinists, and the King of France got rid of them, and so they went somewhere else. French, Dutch, Anglo Teutonic, Continental, right. Tar- Tartar, um, Mongol, Calvinist. Mongoloid, Tudor, Tartar, <laughs> love Tartar sauce. Big fan. <laughs> um, okay, so the, so uh, there's a lot of Freemasons. And like they overlap with Freemasonry amongst the the Society of United Irishmen, um, and Freemasonry is used as a sort of, sort of cover. It's like you use the thing people have heard of and that they know has meetings and secrecy to cover your plotting for other other reasons, right? Like people, you know, it's like people aren't going to ask as many questions about what you're doing if you're part of a, a secret society that they sort of vaguely understand. Um, similar to america um the freemasons among our founding fathers left us clues like these the unfinished pyramid the all-seeing eye symbols of the knights templar guardians of the treasure they're speaking to us through these so lots of connections to american america um the president of the society united irishmen um eventually emigrated to america um these people are really heavily influenced by Hutchinson, Smith, Hume, uh, and others. Okay, so the French Revolution happens, right, in 1789, before this society is formed. This society is formed in response to the French Revolution, in a way, to try and pull together a similar event in Ireland. Um, they distribute Thomas Paine's Rights of Man, uh, Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Independence, and they celebrate the French Revolution and the storming of the Bastille in Belfast. Um, so these are these are the libertarian-minded Catholics. Um, no, so these guys are Presbyterians mostly, um, and Huguenots. Oh, so, so they're it's yeah. I had a tr- I had a lot of trouble with this as well. So they're um, okay. So the way that the like religious breakdown of Ireland is shaping up at the end of the 18th century is that um, you have. Uh, reactionary Protestants that form a, a large block. You have um, Catholics who are like a sort of mixed group. There's there's some extremely conservative Catholics and some like co- like proto socialist Catholics, right? And then sort of in the middle you have the like libertarian liberal um, Protestants who are heavily influenced by the French Revolution and by the American Revolution and by philosophers like okay. John Locke. Um, these people have no mm-hmm. problem with Catholics, right? Um, right? The ones that do end up joining the more reactionary Protestant groups. Um, 
gotcha. the more conservative Protestant groups. Um, yeah. It, it, um, so there's like these debates that so that occur, like these like public debates and different things around the Catholic question amongst the the like intellectual Protestant rebels, right? Um, think of these as like Wolf Tone and his group as the like Sons of Liberty in America, but like the Irish version. Um, Mm-hmm. or like the tennis court oath kind of groups in, in France. Um, they, um, and the Catholic question is basically being debated like the slavery question was in the U S. Um, so Wolf Tone wrote an, an article, like wrote an essay called, uh, the, an argument on behalf of the Catholics of Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. and in which he indicts all of the previous revolts against British rule, um, because they were too sectarian, they didn't embrace all of Ireland together. Um, but he still mm-hmm. is is Protestant and he still is adamantly opposed to the power of the Pope and priests. Right. So oh. he thinks like we need to join with Catholics, but not with like the Catholic hierarchy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, eventually, the result of these debates is that um, the societies agrees on a... Uh, or they, they force an issue the issue in Dublin Castle to where like um Catholics amongst all these like, repeals of the penal laws and stuff that's going on, they Catholics are given um the vote um for the House of Commons, right? Um but they are not allowed to hold office. That's the compromise position. Like they can vote, but they can't hold office. Um so around this time in County Armagh, which is in Northern Ireland today, I think, right? It was the most populous county in Ireland at the time. It's no longer that. Um, these uh, paramilitary groups start to form. On the Protestant side, there's the Peepa Day Boys. <laughs> the Peepo Day Boys. <laughs> um, it sounds like Chet Hanks doing patois. <laughs> oh, man. Some... Someone had a tweet thread about about Joe Biden being a member of the Peepa Day Boys. <laughs> um, there's the Peepa Day Boys and then the Catholic Defenders. Um, they're both formed around 1786. Uh, so before the Society of United Irishmen. My chronology is all out of order here, but I don't know why I have it in the order I do. Um Okay, so in 1791, an English schoolmaster was executed by defenders for teaching in English um, at a, in an Irish-speaking community. It's like in a community that speaks Irish, this guy came in as a school teacher to teach classes, but he didn't speak Irish, and so they executed him. Um, uh, you have this guy, Reverend William Jackson. He attempted to mount a French invasion of Ireland, um, but he was ratted out. All of his plans were turned over to the authorities and he was uh, put in prison in 1794 where he committed suicide. Um, in 1795, this is the Battle of the Diamond. Uh, it's at, a, it's at a, a diamond, like an intersection at a small town in County Arma. Um, there's some fighting, there's a truce, and then uh, everyone like that was there initially signed like agreed to a truce and then their reinforcements arrived and the fighting started up again and a lot more people died um let's see i have a quote from a song in here I'm trying to remember why it says uh we fight 
to the last in the old honest cause and guard our religion, our freedom and laws. We'll fight for our country, our king and his crown and make all the traitors and croppies lie down. Oh, that's that. So this is from the Orange Order or the Peepa. This is from the Peepa Day Boys. This is from the Peepa Day Boys. Um, the croppies is a phrase that shows up here a lot. I just sent you a image. This is a, a memorial to the croppies of County Kerry. The um, so croppie is uh, referred to people who have uh, short hair. So they've cropped their hair down. Um, this is from takes from the French Revolution. The French revolutionaries, like in defiance of the like ar aristocratic norms, um, cut their hair short. So across, you can basically tell who's a revolutionary or not by whether or not they have long hair. So this is when the Orange Order forms. Um, the Orange Order still exists today. They are the like, they're, they also look like Freemasons, very similar, like style to everything. They're, they're the Protestant uh, social group defenders of the Protestant. So they're, they're formed to support the king and his heirs so long as he or they support the Protestant ascendancy. The Protestant ascendancy is the title given to the like, um, the like basically the system that was implanted by the penal laws right mm -hmm. so uh, lieutenant colonel william black blacker is a founding member of the orange order um jim smith that's the author as historian i was uh trying to refer to so according to the historian jim smith the uh the orange order was actually founded as a like lower class movement and it was co-opted by the like landed gentry when it became a threat so this is like a grassroots counter-revolutionary group um, that once it started to get gain traction and kind of get it violent and out of hand was co-opted by like British military authority um, mm -hmm. and, and became a, like a quasi-police um, force of sorts. And, and it's still kind of like throughout the Troubles, they were like heavily like... Most members of the police were also members of the Orange Order in Northern Ireland. Oh, good. <laughs> right. <laughs> that how, like, um, most Portland police are now Proud Boys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Proud Boys police connection is very similar to, like, that was not hard for me to get. People were, like, shocked by that. And were like, no, that's not real. Oh, and it's like, I for me, I was really prepped for that by having been to Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and like <laughs> there have been a lot of investigations into the collusion between um civilian paramilitaries and the police in northern ireland so the orange order it's a protestant fraternal order founded in 1795 in ulster um to them protestantism stood for liberty so all protestants whatever their doctrinal opinions were welcome to join the order although in practice episcopalians outnumbered presbyterians and popery stood for tyranny and a disloyal allegiance to a foreign prince. Catholics were per, per se were entitled to their religious beliefs, but not entitled to the like implied um, forcing them on other people that was like bound to happen by um, by this like Catholic hierarchy. Does that, does that make sense, right? Their justification for like Protestant um, supremacy is that Catholics mm -hmm. are inherently intolerant. 
Oh, yeah. Gotcha. Makes sense, but it's wrong. <laughs> so there's still a lot of nor- of Orange Order Lodges in Northern Ireland and in the, in the Northeastern U.S. Um, so they do these those 12th of July parades and the, the bonfires and everything. That's them. Um, oh, the 12th of July thing. The reason that, like, the Battle of the Boyne and stuff is like, it comes from this, like, Tudor-era effort to, like, replace all of the Saints' Days with British commemorations of different kinds. So, um, Some 2,000 Orangemen gathered at the first 12th of July. They tried to replace Saint, they tried to replace St. Bridget with some bullshit, Tudor bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, like, That's terrible. Henry VIII and King, awful. King James. Uh, that's an awful move. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Henry VIII wasn't turning any water into beer. Um, exactly. If you pulled his eyes out, they did not grow back. No. <laughs> um, okay. So this says uh, that the first parade in 1796 had 2,000 participants. The estimates for the 1797 pro- procession. Uh, range from 10,000 to 30,000. And by 1798, nationwide membership in the Orange Order had risen to 80,000 people. Um, they uh, they bring up, they <laughs> pick up the old Cromwellian uh, phrase of to hell or connect and start confiscating property of Catholics all across, especially Northern Ireland. Um, one of the main things that they're doing, though, is destroying guns and looms. So any of the Catholics who had started a textile business, they're likely to be raided and have their equipment destroyed by the Orange Order. Orange Order in this era really, to me, reflects like the the rise of the Ku Klux Klan following the Civil War, right? Like the penal laws were revoked, Catholics are starting to own property and start businesses. And then these people, this like paramilitary shows up to destroy it. Same thing, right? yeah. Yeah, you give African-Americans get some rights, a group comes in to, with masks to break your shit and tell you to go home. There's like a, a policy of not inf- not ratting out other Orangemen, same kind of clan uh, style stuff. <laughs> um, the quote I had here from, from uh, Smith's article was this, uh, I will blow your soul to the low hills of hell and burn the house you're in. <laughs> it's like Jesus. the oath. Uh, if you ever ratted anyone out okay so back to wolf tone he has the he's in dublin now and so he's like the dublin society and then up in belfast there's the northern executive and together they're the united irishmen um they end up despite being like a protestant founded group like a sons of liberty type group they end up aligning with the defenders against the sort of and not with the pipa days or the or the orange order mm. um and they and so they had a, a, an oath. They swore to nev- never to desist in their efforts until they have subverted the authority of England over our country and asserted their independence. Um, mm. So in amidst all this, so when when uh, that guy earlier who was captured for his plot, when he was killed, um, when he was imprisoned, Wolf Tone took the cue to to flee, and he went to Philadelphia. Mm. When he got there, he thought he would like get along well with Jefferson and Washington and whatnot, but he actually hates them. He thinks they're, <laughs> he's like, oh, fuck, these American aristocrats are just as bad as the British. <laughs> um, like they, because American, because American aristocrats are British, basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he's like, oh no, like they they talk a big game about liberty, but these people don't actually give a shit. They're foolish. And so then he leaves and goes to Paris, where he's like with real revolutionaries like Robespierre. I guess Robespierre is dead by this point. But he becomes a good friend of Napoleon in Paris. Um, hmm. uh, this is a quote from, from Wolf Tone. He says, our, appen- our independence must be at all hazards. If the men of property will not support us, they must fall. We can support ourselves by the aid of that numerous and respectable class of the community, the men of no property. So in the seven, pretty, yeah, pretty dope. Yeah, in the 1790s, he's like articulating a pretty Marxist view, and uh, so mm-hmm. um, there's okay. Let's see, some disagreements arise between Dublin and Belfast, having to do with how many. So yeah. so so we're getting a Protestant group that is shirking the religious factionalism mm-hmm. in favor of. Uh, a nationalistic and sort of class-based solidarity yes okay and uh but the 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 sectarian religious aspect seeps in and the belfast and dublin like councils of this have huge disagreements about like catholic membership and about how secretive they should be about their planning and plotting um okay but all of this is going to culminate in the 1798 rising um, so it's, it's actually really several risings between 1796 and 98, but basically across Ireland, there's 260,000 members of the United Irish. Um, many, uh, Catholics and especially like Catholic like leaders, priests and whatnot are very skeptical of and reluctant to join the United Irish because of their alignment with France and the fact that like Napoleon has now like conquered Rome, you know, and like the French have started turning all the Catholic churches into temples of reason and stuff. So they were, um, there's a bit of like the, the, the French revolution is inspiring the, like not like the more secular revolutionary aspect of this, but like, because of that secularism, they're starting to lose a lot of the lower classes in Ireland. Right. Who are, Mm-hmm. committed to the church right. um anyway wolf tone sets off from france in i think this is late 1796 with 14,500 men on and some ships but because of bad weather they end up getting turned around and abandoning the invasion mm-hmm. he tries again a few months later but at this point in the interim while he's like regathered supplies and 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 everything napoleon leaves and goes to egypt so Napoleon's off fighting in Egypt. Tone is then left without like nearly as much uh, support from France. But he still then takes this like French naval force um, against Ireland, right? Or to go and retake, like capture Ireland from the British to liberate Ireland. Um, mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. He gets about 3,000 people to fight. Um, General Cornwallis, the same Cornwallis that had surrendered to Washington at Yorktown, is to, is in charge of the okay. British fleet. And uh, it all culminates in 1798 at the Battle of Tory Island off of the northwest coast of Ireland, um, in which uh, the the French and Irish forces are defeated. Wolfe Tone is captured, and he dies in prison. It's not really clear how, but he dies in prison. 
Um, mm-hmm. All of the conspirators and members of the of the United Irish are start to be rounded up. Um, they uh, there's a spot in Dublin called Croppy's Acre by the river where just like a hundred I don't know how many I didn't write the number down where a lot of like United Irish were lined up and shot and their bodies just thrown in the river um where sorry in Dublin and the spot is still called Crappies Acre where all the crappies were shot um there's like a practice there's this torture practices that are implemented of uh half hanging and pitch capping uh half hanging is where they'd like Mm -hmm. hang someone until they're about to die and then like take them down and then do it again there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead pitch capping has to do with that's the most that's like the most awful thing mm. i think i've ever heard yeah it really awful torture techniques implemented by the british um pitch capping has to do with like half scalping someone and pouring hot pitch on their scalp um jesus yeah um so and then the the main form of punishment here since is transportation so for conspiracy against the crown people are put on boats and sent to australia um sent to van diemen's land which is tasmania right um the first wave of people sent to tasmania are instructed to build to like cut stones and construct a prison around themselves um so the this is how australia is populated right the like the slave labor force since the slave trade has been outlawed in, or no it's not quite outlawed it's close to the slave trade being outlawed in in the british empire they uh briefly really replaced the slave labor with irish rebels um to build australia thanks for listening to part one of the ireland episode of the schmism check out part two to be released soon you'll uh see that in your podcast feed shortly i'll leave you today with a song called the rising of the moon about the 1798 uprising under wolf town oh then tell me sean o'carroll tell me why you hurry so hush your vocal hush and listen and his cheeks were all aglow i bear orders from the captain get you ready quick and soon for the pikes must be together by the rising of the moon by the rising of the moon by the rising of the moon for the pikes must be together by the rising of the moon oh then tell me sean o'farrell where the gathering is to be in the old spot by the river right well known to you and me one more door for signal token whistle of the marching tune for your pike upon your shoulder by the rising of the moon by the rising of the moon by the rising of the moon with your pike upon your shoulder by the rising of the moon out from many a mud wall cabin eyes were watching through the night many a manly chest was throbbing for the blessed warning light farmers passed along the valleys like the man she's lonely and the thousand blades were flashing at the rising of the moon. At the rising of the moon, at the rising of the moon. And the thousand blades were flashing at the rising of the moon. There beside the singing river, that dark mass of men.